Welcome to Shadow Life, The Roman Files. God is dead. Reverend Rob spoke the words with the conviction of a man describing a matter of fact. Like night is dark or ice is cold. This coming from a man of God, himself a Methodist minister, former minister, Roman reminded himself as he continued to watch his father turning the soil in their backyard garden with his well-worn spade. The late afternoon sun cast long shadows over the upturned earth on this hot spring day. And Roman leaned upon the hoe in his hands and regarded his father carefully. He knew they were treading in deep waters where his father would speak his mind, not caring how his words might be perceived. Normally, Reverend Rob chose his words very carefully when he spoke. And Roman often felt that he was getting the pasteurized version of his father's thoughts not the uncensored ones that ricocheted in his father's sharp intellect. Why don't we go to church anymore, like everyone else does? Roman inserted this question, while Reverend Rob was preoccupied wiping the sweat off his brow with his handkerchief. Church is for people who need to go to church, Reverend Rob said quietly and returned to his work with a spade, a large plot of dirt the color of coal with a fat nightcrawler cleanly cleaved into two, wriggling furiously about. Roman thought silently about how worms regenerated themselves and most likely didn't give a shit one way or another about God or church. One minute they're just crawling around their little dirt-clawed neighborhood and the next, whack, sliced in two. There was a life lesson in that Roman felt positive. He then took his hoe and smashed the two wriggling worms back into the black earth. Roman was jolted awake from his sleep, the jailhouse sheets damp with his sweat. One lone light bulb cast a shadow in his cell as he scanned the six-by-eight-foot box he was being held in until his court appearance. Roman swung his feet to the floor and recounted the day's earlier events when Rob had come to see his son behind bars, caged like a dangerous animal. Roman, why, son? Why did you do this? Rob asked. Didn't I teach you the difference between right and wrong? I tried my best to raise you as good as I knew how to, son. What were you thinking? I don't know who you've become. Seriously, tell me you know the difference between right and wrong. Tell me. Roman sat there. Unable to make eye contact with his father. Yes, Roman softly replied. 
Decisions have consequences, Roman, Rob said. Rob held the iron bars in his hands as if he were going to pull them apart and set Roman free. This, son, is the consequence for which you'll pay. I'm sorry, and I hope you learn something while you're, while you're in there. Rob turned and walked back down the hall away from Roman, the hardest thing he had ever done. He did his best to keep from breaking down in sobs, especially in front of Roman. Tough love and all that. God damn, no one ever said how hard tough love was. Rob felt down to the marrow of his bones that this was going to be the best thing for his son. Roman had to learn. And if it was going to be the hard way, well then, that was the way it was going to be. When the jailers closed the steel door behind Rob, Roman curled up on the bunk in a fetal position and began to cry. He knew Rob was right, though it didn't lessen the pain or the sting he felt being abandoned, alone, again. Mora couldn't, she told Rob. I just can't. I can't do it. I'm sorry. He needs me, and he's all alone. If there's a shred of strength left in my body, so help me, God, I'm going to help him. Well, that's what I'm going to do. And she hung up the phone as Rob was still talking. Mora turned to John and said, I'm sorry, but he's the one who wanted to leave. So now what? I'm supposed to just allow my son to get gobbled up by the system and not lift a finger to save him? Even if it's from himself. I can't leave him in there, John. I just can't. John nodded his head in affirmation. He held Mora in his arms, shooing her to calm down. It's going to be okay. Shh, it's going to be okay. He knew the consequences. She'd go on a bender trying to numb the pain. She'd quietly slip away from him and back down into the closest bottle of gin with a never-ending stream of pills following. No, he had to be her rock. He had to steady her in these approaching storms and somehow find a way to save Roman from himself. Just let it out. You'll feel better. It gets easier the more you share. These words bounced off Roman's ears over and over. Every day for a week, Dr. Stone, the group counselor, repeated yet one more time. He was one of three psychologists that worked or lived at the Yes House, the Youth Emergency Sanctuary, a drug and alcohol rehab center for young offenders like Roman. After six weeks of back-and-forth wrangling between the DA's office and Mora and Roman's attorney, they had finally hammered out a deal. One year probation after successfully completing a drug and alcohol rehab program. One that was locked down and secured, of course. The quickest anyone had ever completed the program was in four months. Roman was aiming for three. There were seven other young men like himself. Well, not exactly 
like himself. As far as Roman could tell, he was the only one there who, well, wasn't a bona fide junkie or alcoholic. He had just pretended to be to get out of jail and possibly be tried as an adult and be sent to the state pen with all the big boys to play with. And had eight female beds, but only six were currently in use. Everybody seemed to be hooked on pills, coke, or heroin. Couldn't stop drinking, crashing their folks' car, etc. Roman liked to get fucked up as much as anyone else, or so he thought. He was a lightweight compared to these kids. But he also realized that it was Mora and John's hard work in pulling strings to get him into this place. So if that's what it was going to take, then by all means, hell yeah, he had a drug and alcohol problem. Yes, sir, indeed. Roman, Roman, I asked you a question, Dr. Stone repeated again. Roman focused back in the group circle, and he looked at Stone. He was sitting with ten other kids, ages ranging from 15 to 18, though there was this one girl there, and Roman knew she was 19. Twice a day, they sat in a circle, this safe place to open up and bear their darkest secrets to group counselors, which today was Dr. Stone. He was in his mid-fifties, Roman thought, salt and pepper, graying hair with a beard to match, outdoorsy type, lumberjack wannabe maybe, with tortoise shell glasses and flannel shirts, old worn out blue jeans and desert boots. He looked like he'd rather be outside than sitting inside this basement room with a bunch of drugged out dopey kids. Lots of kids do it, in fact. They do just that. They open up, and they spill their guts out in front of the rest of the group. They stole booze and pills from their parents, passed out in school, expelled, molested by relatives, and then eventually turned to drugs to numb the pain. They got high, had unprotected sex, got pregnant, dropped out of school, 16, kid of their own, and so on and on and on. They kept vomiting up their sad little stories. Yeah, I'm a drunk. Yeah, I shoot up. So what? You don't know what kind of pain I have to deal with. That was the usual response one got. And then it was Roman's turn. He did his best to try to compete with the other addicts, but Roman's stories lacked a certain ring of authenticity. Well, for one, he truly didn't know what it was like to be in the grips of something so powerful and destructive as an addiction. That no matter how much you say, you'd never do it again. When the time came and the opportunity presented itself, just this once, then I'm done for good. And they'd slide back down that black hole. Every counselor there tried to crack open the protective shell Roman had constructed around him. But Dr. Stone, he treated Roman like his own personal Kilimanjaro or something. Determined to summit the peak and get to the root of all Roman's problems. Ha! 
Roman thought, not gonna happen. These walls have been built to withstand much tougher scrutiny than yours, Doc. So around and around they went. Stone trying to find a crack in Roman's defense, and Roman trying to baffle the Doc with bullshit. You can't con a con, son, Stone said. What? A fisherman can always spot another fisherman, the Doc said again. Whatever, Roman replied. Sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with what's brought you here, he said. You can't tread water forever. You're either going to learn to swim or you're going to drown. Roman knew exactly what he was talking about, but it didn't matter. He knew it would be a cold day in hell before he'd ever open up and share with the group his deepest and darkest secrets. But he knew that Doc was right. He wasn't going to be able to sidestep through the entire program. Sooner or later, his bullshit would run out. He'd either have to crack like an egg or split. Several weeks later, Roman was manning the front desk, the intake desk, for new patients. During the night, when a young girl of 16 was brought in after an overdose. Maybe a suicide attempt. No one knew for sure. It was pouring down rain that night. A real toad strangler, Grandpa would have said. And she looked like a drowned rat. Her dirty blonde hair matted to her pale face and deep brown eyes that flitted around everywhere but Romans. Her name was Angie. Roman felt immediately protective of her, like he would a lost puppy or a stray kitten. She was brought in as a voluntary admittance by her mother and a doctor and a nurse. Roman called the rehab staff on call and stood there staring at this poor creature ready to collapse onto the floor like a puddle of water. In the days and weeks and months that followed, Roman and Angie were inseparable. They'd take long walks on the property and talk about everything under the sun. She was a real honest-to-God junkie. A heroin addict. Maybe some speed and coke to smooth out the rough edges, she said. A little grass, but not a drinker. Nope, alcohol makes me crazy, she said. Her family owned a string of fast food joints across Illinois and Indiana, and they were pretty well off, she figured. Better than most, but not like the Rockefellers or anything. She seemed to know something about just about everything and was extremely intelligent, though Roman figured not smart enough to stay out of a place like this. Oh, I come here about once a year, she said. It's great to get away from my parents in school. It's so boring. This is my third time. You know, I can leave whenever I want, so. Roman explained his situation. He held nothing back. Told her every little gritty detail. Finally, he had someone to share his secrets with since Georgie was gone. Wow, you're a real gunslinger outlaw, huh? Some kind of gangster. 
Hardly, Roman replied, but smiled just the same. One morning at breakfast, Angie was gone. Roman found out that her parents had come for her in the middle of the night and without a word whisked her off back home to Indianapolis and get her ready to send her off to boarding school. Roman was absolutely crushed. His heart was broken. He felt that deep, wrenching pain of a first love heartache. For days, he moped around, unable to stop thinking about her. And then one of the patients he had gotten to know was released and said he'd find out where she lived and what happened to her and that he'd let Roman know. That very day, Roman started to plan his escape. Roman was laying on his bunk and staring at the ceiling. He didn't remember the exact moment when he had decided he was going to be this badass criminal. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Not like in The Godfather. I mean, he had no family ties in a criminal enterprise. No friends that were into the crime scene. No push from an older, more corrupt peer. No, nothing like that. On further reflection, just maybe, it was around the time that he had been attacked by that crazy bastard, that escaped mental patient. Is that when he started to read and consume everything about the gangsters of old. He'd read books and watched old movies. Roman devoured everything he could get his hands on. The likes of Al Capone, Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky. He had posters on his bedroom wall of Capone, Bonnie and Clyde. What kind of kid does that? He thought the common denominator between all of his criminal mentors seemed to be No one fucked with them. No one would ever call them a faggot or a pussy. Those old outlaws and gangsters, they were the very definition of strength, power. They were fearless. He wanted what they had. Not what his father had. Roman wanted to become the polar opposite of what his father, Reverend Rob, had become. At least that's what he told himself at three in the morning, trying to figure out how to get to sleep. As he psychoanalyzed his own issues. There are real monsters walking amongst us. I mean creatures of the most inhumane and despicable variety mankind has ever produced. Carrying out the most horrific acts a young mind could not possibly be equipped to deal with. The worst part is that they're disguised to fit right in with the most upstanding and self-righteous adults you'd ever meet. This is truly what disturbed Roman the most. How many kids thought their only way out was suicide? How many young men turned into the one thing they all despised the most? The only way to get to sleep at night is knowing that there is a special place in hell for those animals, those people like Mr. Z, who prayed on the weak, the helpless. Otherwise, I'd lose my mind, Roman whispered. 
maybe I already have. Thank you for listening to Shadow Life, The Roman Files. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please consider clicking on the Support the Show button and make a small donation. A portion of the proceeds will go to those in need of mental health services like the Trevor Project and Brain and Behavioral Research Foundation. Oh,